the period of time where we didn't have success, I caught myself you know, being really down about it um, as a normal human being would be. <laughs> yeah. right? when, you only want to go higher. <laughs> you only want to go higher. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your career and design a life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Johnny Huynh. Johnny is a force behind the popular in-person community called 57 Grand here in Brooklyn. Johnny's a very dynamic person and I love getting to know him through this conversation. And I hope you do too. In this episode, we talked about in-person community. So in addition to 57 Grand, Johnny lived at and helped run a co-living space and community and event space called The Sub in San Francisco going back to 2009. So if you're interested in about in-person community and co-living, this episode is for you. We also talked about identity, gratitude, loss, music. Johnny recently released a new song called Metropolis Heights, which is connected to 57 Grand in New York and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Portfolio Career Substack, a newsletter that I send out every two Sundays. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Johnny. I think you've had a really interesting career across like many different chapters. Um, Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about San Francisco as well, but I think it'd be one place to start is a Craigslist ad. Uh, like New York, you're a New York chapter. Like really a Craigslist ad, the first listing. Tell us about that story. Honestly, Craigslist has changed my life in so many ways. Um, from the New York listing that led to finding 57, the community um, that we have today. It also was the thing that got me into the sub, which was another warehouse space that we turned into a community in San Francisco back in 2008, 2009. Um, it's also gotten me, Craigslist has also gotten me in a lot of trouble, but <laughs> we'll save that for another day. <laughs> uh, do you like actively keep an eye on it or like? It's so funny. It's like Craigslist was such a phenomenon for such a long time, but somehow over the past few years seems to have like fallen off the map. So back to the, the New York story. So Craigslist was you know, the thing that we would use to find housing for those who you know, don't remember for the post TikTok generation. Um, and so there was this thing called Craigslist. We would use it to find housing. Back in 2018, I was in a place in my life where I was like wanting to explore what was next for me after living in San Francisco for a decade plus and honestly the Bay Area my entire life. And so I was flirting with the idea of living in New York and started looking on Craigslist for a place to live in Williamsburg and just happened to stumble upon this listing that had, most importantly, a basement recording studio with nothing but um, large speaker monitors and a modular synth of all things in the photo. And so I reached out to the, the ad and ended up um, subletting this place in Williamsburg called 57, uh, befriending um, the gentleman who lived there at the time, Doug Desmond, and then convincing my uh, roommate and business partner, Alip Shaw, to join me. And so we spent the summer there in 2018, and then a year later, Alip and I moved uh, to 57 full-time in 2019. All thanks to Craigslist. Wow. And, and so Alip was in San Francisco, and then you kind of recruited him to come over here too? Yeah. So um, I had 
back in 2008, 2009, also found this other space in San Francisco on Craigslist called The Sub, which was a motorcycle shop that had been converted into a living space, which we then converted into an art gallery, which was sort of our front, if anyone ever came and, and was like, are you people living here illegally? We'd be like, no, this is an art gallery. <laughs> we definitely had to say that to the fire marshal one time. Um, and so uh, my a college roommate of mine and some buddies found that space in 2008, 2009, and turned it into a community. Um, all up moved in and became my roommate sometime in 2016, I want to say. And we had been living together ever since. And so when I moved to New York, uh, convinced him to join me as well. Wow. Um, so I guess I, there's a couple different directions to go from this, but I guess like one, you're, you're talking about how, um, I wanted to talk about in-person community and, and that's, you know, 57 grand was in-person community, the sub co-living slash uh, place for events and for bringing people together. Um, but 2009, 2010 is when the sub, so um, for people that are like just getting started in like the in-person community world, uh, what would you say to them for someone that's been in it since like 2009? Yeah. I mean, I, I very, I'm very fortunate in that my first experience of community started when I first went to college back in you know 2003, which is my God, 20 years ago, which is sort of crazy to say, but, um, I went to Stanford and Stanford has or had a very rich campus life experience. We lived in, there was student housing all four years. Uh, we lived in dorms, but we also lived in things called co-ops, uh, which were student run housing in which, you know, we did all the cleaning and the cooking ourselves. We ran our own budget and things like that. And that was my first taste of what it was like to one live in community, uh, and two, you know, throw events, um, to build, you know, community, not just with the people you live, but with, you know, people around us on campus. Uh, specifically my last year at Stanford, I lived in a co-op called the Enchanted Broccoli Forest. It was a house of about, I want to say 50 or so students and we five zero five zero. Yeah. And we threw an event every Wednesday called EBF happy hour. And so not only were we in community with the folks living there in which we had our own systems and processes for living together, we also threw a campus-wide event every Wednesday and brought people together around music, food, and free beer. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, are you, what do you think are some of the, you mentioned like this, the Stanford experience was um, kind of influential or like exposed, to, exposed you to the benefits of living with friends and living in community, but then also hosting events. Like, what do you think like, like still sticks with you from all of those years? Like, is it, you know, keep inviting the same people back? Is it having a consistent event? Is it, you know, try a bunch of shit? Like, like, what do you, what do you, uh, what sticks with you as like a lesson for, um, in-person community building? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of that experience at the time was so mind expanding and, somewhat mind altering <laughs> given that the place was called the enchanted broccoli forest. And this is also, you know, college in California and in a period of great experimentation. Um, so much of the takeaway for me in that experience was, you know, there's something around creating a container mm. around which people gather and just sort of setting the 
stage, if you will, for not just gathering, but why we gather. What What is the raison d'etre, if you will, for mm. bringing people together? And so, so much of what we were trying to do, or what I was trying to do, um, or some of the things that we had learned from our college experience and what we wanted to do at the sub was not just bring people together around a, a party, which is really fun, but really imbue a layer of intentionality around why we gather. Uh, so much of our intention with the sub early on was because we ourselves were artists and creatives and also entrepreneurs. And so we wanted to bring together creative people across all of these different disciplines from art to music to entrepreneurship. And so, so much of the sub was about trying to plant a flag in the ground and say, hey, we're gathering not just because we want to party, but because we want to celebrate creativity in mm -hmm. all of its forms and manifestations. These are the things that we value. And so I think when you when you are explicit about why you want to gather and make that loud and clear, you attract you know, people who share those same values as well. And over time, communities become emergent. Mm. And so then that was kind of the lessons and the, uh, from the sub. And then you talked about 57 grand, which then you moved in in 2018. So the going back to the Craigslist. And then that was a little bit like starting from scratch again or so, or what was, yeah, how did you kind of think about those early days of kind of building up the 57 grand community? Yeah, so, you know, with 57, you know, Olip and I moved there permanently uh, in 2019 after spending, I would say, a handful of weeks here and there um, between New York and San Francisco. And a lot of what we wanted to do when we moved to New York was continue building community at 57. Uh, a lot of um, our challenge, to be honest, was that we moved to New York at the end of 2019, right before COVID. <laughs> and so as soon as COVID hit, you know, we had to take some time off. But um, it was funny, the, the summer of 2020, uh, I remember case counts were low and people were doing outdoor dining and there's such a hunger mm. to gather in person after spending three months in lockdown over Zoom, social distancing, et cetera, that we were like, well, you know, we have this amazing rooftop space. How can we gather in a way that's responsible mm. You know, mindful of case numbers, mindful of, of managing the risk. And so we started getting people together in person on our roof and doing that almost every weekend, Wow! which was such a crazy time. Um, our, our, our good friend and, and roommate at the time, Dan Hunt, really helped catalyze a lot of the gatherings with, uh, you know, he helped introduce us to a a platform called community.com, which was a texting service we would use. And so we, we, we developed this phone number where we'd be like, Hey, you know, we're doing these events. If you want to come to our events, text the number to, to subscribe to the list. Yeah. 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 Uh, and really thanks to Dan, we started, you know, using that and, and operationalizing these recurring gatherings, if you will, where we would just bring people together and 
do it on a recurring basis. And over time, you know, we started doing more and more events. Um, of course, the second wave hit, and so we, we you know, put a pause on events. Um, and then I had some personal things I had to take care of with, with my family and whatnot. So I was gone from New York for about a year, um, but moved back in earnest in 2022. And, you know, collectively all of us decided we wanted to, you know, start it up again. And so started throwing more events, uh, layering in a lot of the ethos from the sub and that intentionality around bringing together creative, like-minded friends mm -hmm. across all of these different disciplines. Yeah. And I'm proud to say we're at a point now where we're doing an event every week, which is kind of crazy to say, um, but awesome. Because now we have events across all of these different you know, interest groups from, we have a wellness event that we're doing this weekend um, we have these recurring dinner events where we celebrate, you know, the culinary arts. We have a event series called FAM, which stands for Friends in Film, Fashion, Art, Music, and Media. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love alliterations and, and acronyms. And you know, that's our event celebrating more of the creative arts. And then we have a version of that called uh, Founders, Funders, and Friends, uh, which is celebrating entrepreneurship and in innovation. And then we have our once a month, all night dance party called Circadian Rhythms, in which we collectively reset our sleep schedules by staying <laughs> up all night dancing. Uh, Maybe less healthy for the body, but great for the soul. And seems like it's been good for your music. Yeah, it's been really inspiring. And, and you know, I'm, I'm the first to admit this is all completely selfishly motivated because... For me personally, a big part of why I moved to New York in the first place was I really valued the diversity of New York. I wanted to be around more creative friends and, and so much of the energy of this city has inspired me musically. Um, before coming to New York, I was actually working on another musical project. Um, I had a band called Cathedrals um, and coming to New York helped open my eyes to all sorts of new music and now I'm working on a solo project that's much more that's much less a band and much more solo melodic house and techno influenced electronica yeah yeah um in conjunction with um the launch of metropolis heights um you had a, a couple really great uh instagram videos and um i love this one quote which was around it's not about making it, it's about making art. Um, as someone who's been a successful tech entrepreneur, has been around the tech scene, um, what did you kind of mean by that quote? Yeah, so a lot of my identity for so long, especially with when I was doing cathedrals, was really embedded in the success of that project and specifically the external success of that project. Uh, so, you know, we had a crazy experience with that band <laughs> where our first single hit number one on hype machine, which was this blog aggregator back in the day. Um, our second single got picked up on, you know, these crazy Spotify playlists. You know, we racked up tens of millions of streams in our first year. You know, we got signed to a label pretty quickly, you know, uh, we toured pretty quickly, and then over 
the last several years, we didn't have as much success as we had in our early days. And, you know, towards, you know, the period of time where we didn't have success, I caught myself, you know, being really down about it. Um, as a normal human being would be, yeah. right? When you only want to go higher. You only want to go higher. God chase the dragon, man. And so, so much of my, I guess, mental, so, so much of the, the issues I was dealing with was, I realized stemmed from embedding my happiness in these external factors beyond my control. So when the band was doing well, I was doing well. And then when the music and the stream numbers and, and success, you know, felt like it eluded us, you know, I felt bad. And so, so much of the lesson from that experience was that the only thing I can control is my perspective. And so now I try to anchor my happiness, not to these external things beyond my control, but rather than the internal things within my control, most notably my attitude. And for me, so much of this now is, you know, gratitude is the attitude. I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be able to make the art. You know, I'm happy for my health and, and you know, that truly is wealth. Yeah. How do you think you kind of, um, live that out or do you have like gratitude exercises or is there gratitude journal or how, how do you kind of like instill that on a regular basis? Uh, I try to practice mindfulness, uh, in every moment. I'm very fortunate. My, um, my mom at one point was a Buddhist nun. And so growing up, I, you know, was in and out of the meditation center a lot. Um, I actually was a summer camp counselor at a med- at this meditation center that she and her friends had started uh, in the 80s and actually went to summer camp at a meditation center, which, by the way, as a 12-year-old kid who's eating a ton of cereal and processed sugar, <laughs> it's really hard to sit still at summer camp when your hormones are raging and you just want to like run around and, and meet people. And But, you know, you had to learn to be mindful about that, too. Um, so I try to practice mindfulness in every moment. And yeah, I, I also keep a, a journal. Um, I have an iPhone note that is years long uh, that I've been writing in mm. intermittently over the past you know, several years. Do you think um, you mentioned about um, like has shifting more towards art been like intentional way of like I want to play a game that I can control compared to let's say a game of being the tech founder and trying to raise money and build this business that relies on other people. Has there been any, um, yeah. Do you, do you, are you, yeah. Anything about that in terms of like, I could start a business, I could be a tech founder, but I'd rather be an artist. I'd rather focus on music because like that makes me happier or I can, um, it's a game that's, in more of my control, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I think it's important to delineate that, regardless of whatever creative endeavor it is, whether it's art or entrepreneurship, there's always going to be things that are within your control, and then things that are with that are outside of your control. And so, I think the specific nuance that I've been trying to practice personally is developing a non-attachment to outcomes mm. in any endeavor, whether it's you know creative, you know, artistically or creative entrepreneurially, um, you know, we can give our best, do our best. Uh, but ultimately there, the success of a thing 
sometimes will depend on factors beyond our control and and so acceptance is you know the key to a lot of those things but that's not to say we shouldn't try our best <laughs> or, or pursue or pursue a creative endeavor um, you know for me personally I'm I'm very fortunate in that I get to express my creativity across all of these dimensions like you mentioned I'm you know I, I have an opportunity to you know, make music still but uh, all up and I also run um, an investment firm that also has a venture studio and so through that we're creating companies uh, as well and so I'm I get to exercise my creativity both in the musical sphere and also still very much involved as an entrepreneur building uh, different companies and Thistle is one example of that right? yeah so we have a, a plant-based meal kit delivery company called Thistle that just expanded to the East Coast wow. very excited about that and so that company started back in 2012, 2013. Um, Alp and I were roommates at the time, and, and he's really been the main driver of that. Um, but I was an advisor to the family office at the time uh, and was able to help in the creation of that endeavor. Um, so you know, fast forward to today, we are constantly looking at what are the problems that we ourselves experience? What are the things within our interests? What are the opportunities to... Yeah you know, affect change on a positive level. And so whether it's a venture scalable startup like Thistle or even just something as small as like, you know, personally, I really love, you know, health and wellness. I'd love to start some sort of, you know, wellness oriented social space, social mm. club that's a little bit more focused on, on health and wellness than, um, you know, more nightlife. I think, you know, Soho House is a great example of a social club that's a little bit more focused on nightlife. I think you know some one within our ambition set. You know, Alp and I have talked a lot about starting something that's a little bit more focused on things that are you know closer to a bathhouse or a, a boutique gym and things like that. And what do you think is um, um, what like what do you think drives that inside of you? Like it always seems like you are like pushing on so many different new frontiers, whether that's new creative projects, companies, etc. Where, where does that like kind of come from? I like to think I'm an ideas guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we need the ideas. I mean, you can't I love you ideas. Can't. <laughs> uh, no, all jokes aside. Um, you know, I really love creating and making stuff, you know? Um, I feel also just very fortunate to be able to do that, to mm. have, uh, the, the health and energy and, and the resources and the time. Um, and so much of the stuff, you know, I enjoy doing is also, I, uh, I enjoy doing things that I think bring joy to the world and mm. joy to other people and that brings joy to me, right? It's, it's, I guess it's both selfish and unselfish. You know, I think, was it Ram Dass that had, that has that quote, I, I help others to help myself and I help mm. myself to help others. Mm. And so there's this like symbiotic relationship with a lot of what we're trying to create because, you know, I want to see these things in the world and it brings joy to other people and that brings me joy and so there's this, you know, cycle that's virtuous versus vicious. Yeah. From a small town, was it Hercules, California? What, what was the name of the town you grew up in? Yeah, Hercules. Hercules, yeah. Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> From a small town there to, to here. Um, in, I mentioned Metropolis Heights, but um, I, I think it's really interesting about how you've talked about it as like a five-year journey. To publishing and producing and releasing this single, um, yeah. Talk to us about the five years. I mean, what what was going on? 
And what do you, what do you, what, what should people take away from five years of like your craft and trying to like improve and, and then get to this point five years later? What, what should we take away from that, Johnny? Procrastination is a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> no, all jokes aside. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about how fast time is moving and accelerating, especially as we get older and how you know five years can just go by in an instant, which honestly just inspires me and, and lights a fire uh, for me to just try to do more faster. Um, I think looking back at the last five years, so much of that time for me was spent transitioning hmm. both you know personally and then professionally uh with my art you know, i was i had grown up in the bay area um lived there for 35 or so years and was also you know i had this band that was my identity uh, i had the space the sub that was also a huge part of my identity and so moving to new york was a huge identity paradigm shift for me um, and a huge lesson, honestly, in letting go. Mm. And so, so much of the last few years has been trying to explore both, you know, myself internally and then through that exploration process, um, musically as well and the stuff that I wanted to make and put out into the world. And so, you know, five years it wasn't like I spent five years working on this one song every single day. That would be, I wasn't trying to call you that out. That would be say. crazy. But, and, you know, I love the song, but it's not like it's the Rite of Spring or something. <laughs> no. um, which I wouldn't be surprised if that song took five years of everyday work. But so much of the process for, you know, art for me is, you know, you get inspired to, to make something and you make it. And honestly, so much, like I would say like 80% of that song, at least the ideas in that song were made in a jam session one uh, late night in the studio at 57. But so much of the process is about, you know, working on something, taking space, coming to it, coming to it with, you know, new, new eyes, if you will. Um, and, you know, coming at it with a different perspective. It really was... Uh, it wasn't until about a year ago that I decided, you know, I've been sitting on not just that song, maybe like dozens of songs that are in various states of completion. And I had gotten to a point where I felt there was, I was starting to triangulate around a sound. Mm. I think so much of, of the process of being an artist is discovering your voice. Mm. And so, you know, I had a very specific voice with cathedrals that was a totally different genre than the music I'm making now. And so, so much of those five years of uh, was a process of discovery, both, um, you know, on a personal level, which, by the way, informs, you know, the art as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, a lot of that was trying to figure out my voice, trying to figure out what I wanted to make what felt right. I was experimenting really wildly over those five years. Um, I have, and I have still today unreleased a solo piano album. That's sort of neoclassical. Uh, I have more of a singer songwriter, indie rock album mm. with guitars and drums. Wow. Um, and then I have, you know, this project, which is much more 
based on you know synthesizers, drum machines, uh, modular synthesis, and that's a lot of the, the the time was sort of spent experimenting, going really wide to find the thing I really wanted to go deep on. Mm. And so after going really wide, I think I found the thing I really want to go deep on. And so now the past year and a half has been going really deep in this direction, taking these songs that I hadn't that I honestly hadn't touched in years and looking at them from this fresh new perspective with a clear idea of the sound, the vision, and really just working to finish to finish all of these unreleased projects. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look out, world. <laughs> People are going to be like, where, where, this guy's just creating stuff left and right. What's going on? You're like, I've been working on this for a while until I found that, that thing. Um, was there anything else that was going on in the summer 2022? Or uh, you mentioned about like a year ago, you, it started to kind of um, change or open up. Um, yeah. Um, one of the crazy things, so I, you know, this is a universal experience, but I had a crazy experience where um, my mother sadly passed away from cancer. And I spent, uh, she got diagnosed, I think, in, in May of 20 or April of 2021. Um, and my mom, growing up, you know, she was like my best friend. We were very, very close. Um, she was joked even before Austin Powers that I was her mini me. And so we had a very special <laughs> relationship. <laughs> I look nothing like my mom, for the record. Um, I am a boy. <laughs> she is a girl. Um, and so, you know, there was a big shock to the family. I decided to move home and be your primary caretaker. Um, you know, very, again, operating from a very high level of privilege. Very grateful to even have had that opportunity mm. to, to just pick up my life and move home. Um, so moved home, was her primary caretaker. Um, unfortunately the cancer developed and then she passed away, um, the summer of 2021 and, you know, was totally and completely distraught, um, to the point where I didn't even, I couldn't even listen to music. Like I, I found that for me, so much of music and art is about the exploration of, of emotion. And I was like in this crazy place where I didn't even want to be emotional. I didn't want to touch emotions. Mm. It was too painful. Mm. Um, and you know, very very um open to sharing but i think one of the things that really helped me personally was discovering psychedelic therapy mm. um i did uh you know a friend had recommended it i read up on it and it was something that seemed to make sense i was experiencing symptoms of of ptsd um i was with her the night she passed and um felt really guilty about you know not being able to save her. There's a lot of survivor's guilt that I've read about. This is a common human experience. I'm not unique in any way, but um, was definitely going through those experiences. And so discovered psychedelic therapy, you know, went through that process and it was an incredible experience that helped transmute the guilt I was feeling into gratitude. Mm. And so now mm. I'm able to share, look back on that experience and, really feel grateful hmm. that I was so fortunate to be able to you know, spend those last few months with her. So lucky to be there as she transitioned into the next you know, phase of her existence. And you know, really looking at that, not with you know, sadness, but with love. Hmm. And so um, but it did take me a while to get back to New York. I spent maybe like a year away from New York 
as I was figuring things out, healing and et cetera. And, and also it took me a year to get back into music. Mm. Um, cause I was so distraught for so long. The only thing that like felt good was surfing. Um, that was sort of my <laughs> surfing is also one of my outlets. And yeah. so, yeah. um, ocean therapy, psychedelic <laughs> therapy, all of it. Highly recommend. Sorry to, sorry to hear that, and, and thanks for sharing. Um, I yeah, losing my dad was a very um, kind of key moment. Uh, is many years before, but was a key moment of like a waking up moment for me. Um, and um, that's like really beautiful to hear this transition from guilt to gratitude. Um, yeah, it seems gratitude's kind of been like a theme of this of this podcast. I love it. Yeah. Um, Gratitude's the attitude, man. <laughs> um, what do you think you um, like learned? The, you said she was kind of mini me. What do you think you kind of learned the most from her? Honestly, it's funny because a lot of the stuff I talk about now is the stuff that she always talked about. Gratitude mm. being the attitude, non-attachment to outcome. You know, when you're yeah. eight years old <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, twitching, sure, sure. <laughs> twitching because you can't sit still, and she's trying to tell you gratitude's the attitude. Practice non-attachment in this moment. <laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't really resonate until you know you've had some experiences much, you know, many years later. But really, I think a lot of the stuff that you know I try to, to try to talk about and share with others, um, both as a way to help remind myself, but also as a way to to you know, just to share and and help inspire. Um, or lessons that, you know, she would, uh, trumpet around the house, like on a daily basis that was so easy to gloss over when you're like six years old, eight years old. Yeah. What's that line of like, when the student is ready, the teacher emerges or something like that, where it's like, yeah, it's like the, like the wisdom or the knowledge or the ideas are there. It's like, but are you ready to receive it? And, you know, when I was a kid, I probably wasn't that ready to receive it. (laughs) I was ready to receive allowance. (laughs) $20 a week (laughs) on Cheetos. At at the mall or or what was that? She she had a nail salon or? Yeah, my mom had a, uh, so my my parents are are Vietnamese refugees um, and in very stereotypical Vietnamese fashion, she started a nail salon. Uh, So I grew up, you know, behind the reception counter at the mall and, um, you know, in addition to my allowance, which allowed me to go buy Cheetos and play video games, she also forced me to entertain her patrons and, ah. and sing kids' songs, which is hilarious in retrospect, but also kind of cruel at the time. <laughs> push your kid in front of an audience like that. Um, but, you know, songs like Old MacDonald and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star were, were huge hits back in the day. Yeah. Well, it seems like that you got got some early reps then. Yeah. Um, for, um, yeah, for artists, creators, entrepreneurs, people who are thinking about what's next. Is there, um, like, what else would you want to share with them? Or you know, sometimes there's always like, if you knew me really well, you would know this about me. Or like stuff that you always share with people. Is there anything that, anything else that you really want to share to people that are kind of. A, that come to you that ask for like, Hey, I need help with this, or I'm thinking about what's next, or I'm stuck on this. Yeah. I think 
every time I hear someone say I'm stuck on this or I'm trying to figure out what's next or or I'm you know I don't know what to do I honestly smile at them and say dude I'm so stoked for you <laughs> like seriously because these moments where we're stuck or where we don't know what we want to do next these moments of transition mm. are usually the moments that precede the best times of our lives or these moments of insight or these moments where we figured out the thing that's going to fulfill us so deeply. And it's such an exciting time that it's easy when you're in, you know, when you're lost in the woods to see that, but taking a step back, I think we can see that, you know, across our careers, across the arc of our lives, it's really in these moments where we're stuck or we're trying to figure out things that catalyze these positive changes in our life. And so I just like encouraging folks to embrace, embrace the obstacle. You know, there's that, what's that, uh, Ryan holiday book. The obstacle is the way, um, his, uh, his summary of stoicism, which is, you know, shares a lot with Buddhism as a philosophy. And so the obstacle is the way (laughs) embrace it, embrace it. It's an opportunity. Enjoy it. Anything else, Johnny, you want to share? before uh, you let people know where they can listen to the music, stay connected. Anything else, Johnny? Yeah, I definitely want to share that I am very appreciative that you have been doing this over so many episodes and you're able to bring so many great people together to share their thoughts. It's really a service for everybody else. And so my gratitude, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. This is supposed to be your your wisdom, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, Johnny. And um, Instagram, any handles or websites, things that you want to share? Yeah, it's, my handle is just at uh, Johnny Quinn, J-O-H-N-N-Y-H-W-I-N, um, on the internet. Awesome. Thank you so much, Johnny. Cool, man. Thanks, brother. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 